Sports This Week in Sleeves with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking from the new millennium. We do that every now and again, and some cruel fucking at that. The Nature and Cycle of Revenge gets a graphic and grim depiction in Wong Ching Po's Revenge, a love story. Pregnant women, look away. Seriously, look away. <laughs> Don't watch this movie. Uh, also, it's the origin story of one of the most iconic superheroes ever to be put on film, who got his own lavish, majestic widescreen spectacle nah just kidding it's a porn film featuring the cat free superman here and there (laughs) (laughs) for a reason though there's almost a legitimate reason why the cat free superman has a place in temptation summary we've done temptation summary 2 which is unrelated but has the cat free superman in the first scene and uh, let's see if we can jog the great Lord Joshua Regal's memory here, because that movie was about making Category 3 movies, and the first scene with the cat-free Superman, which wasn't Lee Chung Ling, it was another actor. Do you remember what happened as the, the movie transitioned into that we're now on a set and things like that? Do I remember right afterward? No, I do remember that they were shooting a scene, right? Shooting a film, and then, uh, yeah, they cut, and it comes back, and I remember... He broke his pelvis. The, uh, <laughs> the actor in the Catfrey Superman, so they had to cut because the guy broke his pelvis. From from humping. Yeah, exactly. Oh, of course. So they, they, that was their little, uh, uh, well, remember that from the first movie? Here it is again, but we're doing a different story here. Uh, category 3 filmmaking by Category 3 filmmakers. But Temptation Summary 1 is a different beast uh, altogether. We'll discuss all of that. My name is Liz Kay, and with me is the Cinematically Deviant, but Socially Responsible, and he's also a pending father, and he is... The great Lord Joshua Regal. Hello. Hello, everybody. Yeah, he's, he sounds so, um, uh, he, he lights up. You know, he's the great Lord Joshua Regal. There's nothing uh, brooding about him. I'm a father. <laughs> Gonna be a father. He kind of sounded like Liam Neeson there for a second. <laughs> I've got a particular set of skills. My semen works. <laughs> My ejaculate makes babies. <laughs> <laughs> what the? And that's uh, that's how that's how we do it on this show. That's how we do. It. We we fall into uh, rabbit holes. Uh, soon enough, we're gonna fall into the rabbit hole of like like doing uh, Owen Wilson impressions back and forth. Wow! 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 Wow, man! Wow! <laughs> Every Owen Wilson. Movie. That's all it is. That's all everybody has. Wow! Yeah. I mean, wow. Exactly. That, that's wow, a very laid back Owen Wilson, as it were. And uh, that's uh, that, that's all good. I uh, hope everything's well. Are you melting away over there? It's always uh, constantly uh, uh, volcanic heat at this time of year as uh, as we are recording. So Louisiana, it. Uh, I mean, even going outside for maybe an hour or two, you start to feel dehydrated. It's pretty fucking terrible here. Hey, you know Celsius and Fahrenheit because, and I don't like uh, if I say to you. 20 degrees Celsius is like our massive heat wave, maybe 25. That's like laughable in your eyes, or you're, or or you've forgotten the conversion. Uh, the conversion, I was never very good at. I, I had to <laughs> you memorize. You become a for... nurse and you don't remember that. <laughs> no, I mean I'm pretty good with like uh, kilograms to pounds and things like that. Oh, screw that. That has <laughs> that has no practical implica- application in the world. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like we, we still. 
write things down as, oh, so-and-so's, you know, so many pounds in the hospital, but we have to have it as kilograms for any kind of medication. So it's, like, completely pointless for us to do pounds or uh, fucking inches and shit like that. And, well, we, I mean, we do inches. We don't do uh, feet in the hospital. But. Well, uh, apparently, for us, 25, it's fairly rough. Um, although I have an have air-conditioned office that I work in. But uh, uh, 25 Celsius is, is about 77 Fahrenheit. And that's laughable, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, that ain't nothing. <laughs> We're looking at, like, 100... <gasps> Oh, Lord. 100, 101 degrees uh, heat index here lately, Jesus which Christ. would be... In my eyes, that must mean that the pavement is melting a la Weekend at Bernie's, right? Like the, op- <laughs> the opening of Weekend at Bernie's where they, New York is like going through a heat wave and uh, the, the asphalt on the roof is melting. It's like roughly like 38 Celsius. Oh, no. Like... Almost a double that jesus christ i would melt away like an ice cream in the sun like immediately i've been uh doing a lot of work on the arcade outside uh during that <laughs> Paint, and uh, painting and stuff or just sewing or whatever so yeah well mostly sanding and uh repainting it and things like that i'm trying to get it ready to put uh like tea molding on the side of it and stuff so a lot of physical stuff and like it just feels like feel like i get dehydrated every time and uh oh jesus christ well uh, I, i'm not one to complain because uh, as i said I, I i got ac at home and uh in the office we have ac yeah. so it's only when i'm my two hours outside as i walk back and forth to work right which is still a mighty work a mighty walk so but i like it I like it It affords me uh, to uh, time to listen to podcasts listen to books and uh, i rip audio commentaries from dvds and blu-rays and put on on my phone and listen to them that way and uh yeah it's all good all, all healthy hopefully still got my knees still got my legs so gonna do it as uh for as long as i can at any rate uh we are going to uh this is the pleasant this weekend's lease talking to you about the weather <laughs> sleazy kane the great lord joshua regal sipping tea and talking sleazy movies but in revenge and love story things are not going to be uh very pleasant uh, this 2010 movie um brought out all the stops and uh, we're gonna get to it and see if that was effective in joshua's eyes and see if that was effective in my eyes but first of all some very brief contact information this is this week is least 55 is the tidy whitey theater per definition we're here uh, talking about uh, revenge love story temptation summary and you can find this show and all our back catalog on podcastonfire.com along with bonus episodes including the the infamous in my eyes famous infamous is good enough uh, re re view of mindfuck as a bonus episode and uh, that was a silly joke that still meant we did the work and put forth the context as much context as you could put forth for a hardcore pornographic movie but we did it joshua more than any show would ever do because no one would do a show on mindfuck <laughs> so, much less two so we okay. <laughs> so uh that's what joshua brings to the table hey ken i got an idea Let's watch it again. <laughs> and talk about it again. Well, well you did put forth work. You did, uh, the, um, you did the Criterion Collection uh, Blu-ray cover art for them. So you did put forth <laughs> uh, work and uh, that was all good. So you can find that bonus episode on the website and our back catalog on the site as well as on iTunes, of course. If you have any questions or feedback about these movies or any other business you might want to 
uh, talk about or ask about we uh, our email is podcast on fire at googlemail.com click the various buttons to reach our social media such as facebook twitter click the itunes button along that very row to subscribe to our feed rate and review us we will very much appreciate it most people place their review on the general feed for all shows which is great and there's some very kind reviews up there good or bad we would like love to hear from you and we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio as well and all that good stuff. So plenty of options for you, plenty of shows for you. And if you are a first-time listener, uh, seeing that we are reviewing Revenge, a love story, thank you very much for taking a chance. And I hope you like the perspective we bring to these adults-only movies. And uh, I write about uh, a variety of movies, including these category-free movies on SoGoodReviews.com and uh, my video hub is LisaKVideo.com and uh, all of that good stuff. Hey! Hotshot, quiz, quiz time. You did a documentary on a particular filmmaker, I've forgotten the name of uh, the, na- uh, the mo- famous movie he's done, it's called Something Flats, but wasn't there a Blu-ray announcement for one of his movies, or that movie, not too long ago? Yeah, I believe God Monster of Indian Flats is uh, coming out on uh, Blu-ray. Who's handling it? Do you remember? Is it something weird or... Uh, or no, 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 I don't believe it's something weird this time. Uh off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but... Uh, Certainly not Criterion, right? <laughs> it might be a Criterion disc. I don't know. I'm not... <laughs> no, it was... Uh, fuck, was it Severin or something along those lines? Right I up, forget. Right I was thinking maybe Unearthed or... Yeah, but uh, may, may, maybe it's clean, too clean for Unearthed films. I th- I, yeah, I think uh, Hobbes is... Frederick Hobbes is a little too... Uh, a little too nice for what they release. But you, you you should lobby those uh, that label to include your your effing YouTube documentary on the man for heaven's sake. I don't know. I think I'm sure they've probably pressed the disc by now, or at least uh, have been putting it together for a long enough period of time that they don't have to. But yeah, I mean, if they could afford it, because you know, of course, I have a lot of clips from uh, throughout his career on there, oh, uh, different you. films. So it would probably be a for them to uh, do but and and they're not obscure enough where where those clips could be argued to come from public domain and things like that they're right. they're, they're, they're rights they're, they're rights holders for his catalog yeah i'm quite certain that uh, there's some films like uh alabama's ghost I, I don't that one might at this point be public domain or at least no one has uh, properly released it since probably the vhs days Oh, actually, no, I think Alabama's Ghost might have been, I think uh, something weird might have done that one. I can't remember. It might have been on the special, the the DVD release of uh, God Monster of Indian Flats. But some of his films I know that I've featured in the film were definitely, uh, could be, possibly, the clips could be shown. And uh, what a world we live in, that uh, now one of his movies is going to go through some kind of K treatment, probably not 4K, but you know, it's going to be transferred no. in high definition and things like that. Because I, I assume they announced the Blu-ray and not just DVD. So, uh, I mean, it's probably not going to look better, grainier, but uh, <laughs> and maybe a, a bit brighter, who knows? But uh, it, it certainly won't transform it to uh, to something, uh, you know, something slick or anything. God Monster of Indian Flats is such a unique and bizarre film like you know the first time i ever saw it i was really into just finding fucking weird strange ass movies from the past that nobody had ever heard of or anything like that and god monster indian flats definitely fit that bill did did you like uh did, did you like um sort that out on your own or did you like 
watch these things via MS23K and like, uh, oh, I'm getting that, or, or their movies weren't weren't weird enough for you? It was just uh, recommended on some group, like I think it was a news group or something like that, and it was po- it posted about alongside, uh, what was that? Uh, it's this old native american movie uh with this like native american guy like a revenge story i remember johnny firecloud wow like i remember watching An awesome name regardless <laughs> johnny firecloud i watched those two movies like back to back i you know i really like both of them but god monster of indian flats is so fucking weird it's like david lynch meets uh the cheesiest sci-fi horror movie you ever saw it's the killer sheep movie right right i'm sorry if I, i'm sorry if i'm simplifying it but that's what i remember from it that's what it is yeah okay. uh, it's a film that takes place in this little small uh nevada city outside of reno that uh very few people know about but uh frederick hobbs was like deeply familiar with it like the history of the town used to be a big area for gold back in the 1800s and the town has been kept to look in that same fashion since then like it's built like an old western city and uh every year they have this day in that city where like everybody dresses up like they're from the 1800s and very strange areas for strange little thing within like american subculture and so he shoots this film around that never explains any of what i just said you know like and just you just like you know you, you watch it and you're like why is everyone dressed like this why is this town look like this then there's this whole sequence about you know the sheep and everything and he said that like the reason he wanted uh, the movie to be about a killer sheep was he was thinking of the old miners and stuff like that and like if there was a ancient legend what would it have been about well there were a lot of sheep back then, you know, a lot of sheep wandering around. So maybe it would be about a giant sheep. And that's kind of what he did. And uh, It was like his second out of a three picture deal where he was making X amount of dollars for it. And Alabama's ghost wasn't very successful, even though, you know, it was kind of a horror movie. And, you know, that would they thought that was going to make money. So they wanted to double up on it and let's make God monster this you know monster movie and this should you know make the money back and it didn't but uh like the final sequence of the film is this is strange like I, I throw out david lynch but it is it's like a total lynchian cronenberg-esque like abandonment of logic you watch the sequence and you're like what the fuck is it uh is it the, um from an era where you can argue that this is uh, drug-fueled creativity <laughs> absolutely um roseland his uh, first feature was like a sh- straight up LSD trip with like vampires and a bunch of, uh, you know, naked hippies running around in fields. But God Monster Vinian Flats, a little more subdued, but then that, that same LSD, you know, fuck it, you know, this is, this is society, man, type <laughs> shit comes out at the end and you're just like, okay, well, we were going down a pretty straight and narrow plot up until this and then it's like he just gave up and was like let's just go crazy well uh, you can hear it uh, you, you just have to so- sort of plant uh, a trigger word for joshua and he goes off on in, in a passionate way and that's a lovely thing and therefore we're going to obviously link to your youtube documentary on this very filmmaker and the surrounding elements and uh, with the center sort of element being 
this movie. So um, I always like that when you engage in creativity. And I enjoyed the doc because I've seen it, even though I don't remember it word by word, but I have, I have seen it. So it's a good watch for for a new viewer because I, I obviously knew nothing of, uh, of of the guy or the movie. Not sure I was even that motivated to watch the movie, but I loved your doc. <laughs> so. And if I ever get around to it, I've been writing for, I don't know, probably two years. I've been writing like another one for... This one's supposed to be, I'm going to try to do uh, pink films, the difference between pink, Roman porno, and, uh, you know, pinky violence, and, you know, violent pink. It's going to be a big thing about all that, but... With the centerpiece being rape, 13th hour. Hell yeah. (laughs) That or uh, uh, White Rose Campus, and then everybody gets raped. One of my favorites. But uh, I've been writing it for so damn long, and it's so it's so much, you know. Can, can you really condense it to one thing, or you're or you you're choosing to focus on a particular era, or you want to do a full overview kind of thing? It's like this. It's like if you're gonna talk about pinky violence, well, you have to kind of introduce uh, pink films, you know. So because you, you, people aren't, you know, I mean, it's all part of the same thing, you know. It just uh, a decade worth of filmmaking, you know, like well, this came first, then this came. And, you know, I mean, I guess you could jump right into it and be like, oh, Pinky Violence is an offshoot of Pink No, films, you, you, you know, you got to do context, man. I mean, you, you have to, or in the doc, you, you certainly need to almost put things on the screen about what a movie like that needs to right. contain, including how many sex scenes and things like that, because that was a, there was a list of demands in order to, mm-hmm. for filmmakers to even do these films, you know, include that thing and then do your personal shit too. Like, if you want to be political, fine, but include these things too. And I always love that it's a reverse kind of thing. They give them freedom as long as they right. do those things too. If I could speak uh, Japanese, it would be so much easier to research the stuff because honestly, I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of people that have uh, done research and have presented it. And there's the Weiser uh, books from back in the day. You've got uh, Jasper Sharp and these guys that have done tremendous work. But until you can actually do the research yourself, it's kind of difficult because they don't all talk about the things you want to know. Like, like some some things will get mentioned just kind of briefly. The different types of uh, the subgenres, like uh, the Nikatsu and their different lines and stuff like that. Well, you want to find out the different types of lines, like uh, you know the Iroguro stuff, and you want to know well. You know, what constituted these films? What constituted those? And it's very difficult to find a lot of like things that peg things down, you know, if that's makes sense. It's just, it's very difficult to find actual information. So anytime you, I start, I start researching something and I'm looking and looking and trying to find different uh, books and things like that that might point me to what I need to know, but it's, it's a bitch. But, it's worthwhile. It's it definitely worthwhile, and f- thankfully, there's no deadline to this uh, project. Whether you sure. complete it uh, post-birth or pre-birth uh, of your <laughs> child or whatever, so but I'm I'm happy to hear that. So uh, uh, keep us all updated, and uh, we'll uh, see what happens. But in the meantime, we'll we'll uh, link to Josh's uh, two docs because he did one on Godfrey Ho and IFT, and uh, also this one uh, that we mentioned. But in the meantime, we're gonna take a musical break, and after that, we'll be here too discuss revenge a love story some background on it and the movie itself so sit tight and we'll be back
and welcome back in the first movie that we're going to review today's episode of this week in Sleaze is Revenge, a love story from 2010 and plot from my review of the film, a serial killer played by Juno Mack targets pregnant women and their husbands. During a traffic stop, the police stop the police chase him down and bring him in. Interrogated by Jeff, played by Chin Siu Ho, and Kwok Hua, played by Tony Ho, Mack's uh, character, he plays a character called Chan Kit, says that this would not be the first time he's been framed by the police. And in flashback, Shankit's uh, journey sort of is uh, chronicled, and uh, that uh, that story involves also the mentally challenged girl Chung Wing, played by Aoi Sora. I'm always a problem uh, uh, pronouncing that Japanese name, but they, they fall for each other, uh, but are scarred, both of them, after a cruel night at the police station. And uh, some uh, scattered notes about the cast and crew I thought was uh, suitable to inject here. We, we just talked uh, context, and I think it's important to do context even for this movie. This was co-written and directed by Wong Ching Po, who started out uh, co-directing the shot-on-video category-free drama Fubo. And yeah, he had some gruesomeness, along with some decently thoughtful drama about death, uh, a couple of parallel stories and what have you. He went the all-star route with 2004's Jang Hu, and, and the movie after that that followed was uh, Ah So. Both were trial pictures, and uh, former Jang Hu, that is, uh, it was more an exercise in style over substance, even though it had tons of stars, uh, including Andy Lau and Jackie Chung. But the revenge saw him snap back into the grim depiction of the world, uh, and then the, the year after he did a little movie called uh, Let's Go with uh, him and uh, lead Juno Mack uh, sending up Japanese tokusatsu entertainment and uh, that got some critical notices. I've not seen Let's Go but it certainly is on paper a contrast to most of the movies Wong Ching Po had done before and at the time of recording the last movie he has directed is Once Upon a Time in Shanghai stars and that stars Philip M, Andy On and Sammo Hong so he's now ventured into action as well. Um, Once Upon a Time in Shanghai I'm not sure it ever reached uh, U.S. Shores via Wellgo or what have you, but um, it's certainly out there if people want to see one of uh, Sam Hong's uh, movies of the f- last few years, directed by quite a young director. But the lead, Juno Mack, uh, he, he has a, kind of a shaky story as he um, entered into the world of entertainment industry, uh, the entertainment industry. He's now good. Right, he's on on the other side, but uh, he got into the music industry first of all via the influence of his wealthy father, Clement Mack. But the sort of steps to reach mass appeal and sales, uh, those steps were a bit dodgy, Joshua, because there were stories of uh, stores being paid to carry albums, and there were like professional groupies hired to drum up noise at events. Obviously, not a new thing, but it's not something that makes you look good once you've <laughs> once you're caught so to say and speaking of court he was arrested in 2003 along with his father due to accusations of um, you know uh, they were uh, they were bribing uh, whoever they needed to bribe for in return for awards and that uh, the corruption agency ICAC looked into that uh, the case was dropped though, uh, and uh, Juno Mack actually returned to music and the story still kept on building Joshua about his popularity being manufactured you know you don't escape that uh, that uh, sort of rep and especially if you sort of keep doing it and uh, his uh, even his clothing brand that he tried to start called Chapel of Dawn um, had stories looming over it where the, where the popularity wasn't necessarily earned. But he did venture into acting, although Juno's father did finance this film, Revenge Love Story. Juno did get the story credit for it, and 
he was in a phase of his career by this point that leaned more towards film and more towards uh, personal creativity because in 2013 Juno made his directorial debut uh, with uh, the old school cast horror movie Rigor Mortis that was uh, it was released to sort of medium acclaim but I quite liked it it's a darker Mr. Vampire starring a lot of people that were in Mr. Vampire and those kind of movies but now in quite a serious serious frame I mean Richard M is in it Anthony Chan is in it who's in Mr. Vampire 1 and 4 and uh, uh, Kara Hoy and uh, Yoon Wo Ping's brother Yoon Ching Yan I think was in it but uh, and Chin Su Ho playing an actor and essentially it looks like he's playing himself in a movie it's uh, it's so, some nods to to him as a you know once more popular actor versus now but um uh, Rigor Mortis, uh, it crafted nods towards horror genres and uh, content of old by featuring this cast, but also uh, sort of a darker depiction of hopping vampires. And uh, at least he made sound bites in the press, Juno Mac, that, that were logical and literally sound, you know, because he was talking about his working ethic and what it needs to be, where he where he needs to be at as he directs and he talked about you got to keep you cool you got to come prepared and you, you earn respect in the process so at least it seemed now on a path where doing more on his own and crafting more creativity on his own and he's continued to do that Joshua because he is uh, at the time of recording um, I'm not sure when it's coming out but presumably it's done and then uh, a second feature called Sons of the Neon Night and uh, that features an all-star cast as well uh, we'll get uh, we'll get to see Juno Mac direct the likes of uh, Louis Ku, Takeshi Kaneshiro Richie Ren, Tony Lankafai and reportedly Madman Conan Lee is going to make a rare film appearance in this movie and when I say madman, he's he's, uh, he's one that uh, reportedly burned some bridges along the way, uh, and uh, his ego got in the way of him becoming a huge star. Conan Lee, that is. Although one questions whether Juno is a bit too pretentious in his approach, because he said this of the film. Uh, our friend King Hu posted a quote about um, Juno, sort of uh, talking of the film and what it means. So you tell me what this means, Joshua, because you're way smarter than I am. So. This is what Juno Mac said of Sons of the Neon Knight. Quote, A land free of drugs depicts utopia, or so they say. Yet only those who have been there would know the internal flames that burn in that place called hell. It was with his creation of medicine that men begin deluding himself about the elusive power to ordain life and death, or maybe obtain, I don't know. Be it naivete or arrogance, we glory in awe. Eyes closed deaf to the quiet uh, humming of destruction that lingers on the edge of desire. As it goes, blood weeps more eagerly than tears in a merciless world. Right. Blood weeps more eagerly? Than tears in a merciless world. I think it's a gangster movie, but I'm not too sure anymore. (laughs) It's like uh, he's taking a page out of Trump's book in terms of coherency. (laughs) (laughs) At at least these are words, at least spell-checked words. So I hope it's a straightforward, like, Rigor Mortis was stylish, but not pretentious. It was straightforward, you understood it. This sounds like he's uh, up his own butt. And I hope it's more straightforward than that, because you don't want to waste this cost on making an impenetrable art that only a select uh, audience understands. Or maybe that select audience would not uh, approve it, you know. You 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 can't judge the balloons. 
the balloons bring the ideas. You take down what comes, you know. And then blood weeps more eagerly than tears. <laughs> so yeah, whatever that was about, Juno, I wish you the best of luck on Sons of the Neon Knight because I did like Rigor Mortis and uh, and uh, Rigor Mortis has US distribution. I think via Wellgall, although it's not on Netflix anymore, but you can probably still get it cheaply on DVD and Blu-ray if you're interested in uh, Rigor Mortis because I did quite uh, enjoy it. Very well made. Speaking of that. You know, you mentioned how it's the hopping vampire. And then we, we talk about arcade games that we play a lot. There's one that I found in my list of MAME games, uh, Chinese Exorcist. Hmm. By chance, have you had a chance to see this? No, I've uh, probably passed that and I haven't heard of it at all. Uh, what's the deal over there? It looks, you know, and granted I'm just going off like the video clip that shows up on my uh, arcade it looks like uh, they took puppets and, like, used the puppets to, like, you know, get their graphics. Kind of like Mortal Kombat used real people. It looks like they used puppets of little Chinese exorcist people. Like, a Chinese exorcist. And then you have hopping vampires that you fight in, like, one-on-one combat. Is it, is it beat them up a la, a la whatever, Final Fight? or? I think it's more like Street Fighter, honestly. Okay. Is it super new or like made in the 90s or... Oh, it's like 89, 90s, something like well, that. Well, I have know? my main loaded up. I can't reach it now, but then I'm going to see if I can find it there because uh, I got Chinese most of... Chinese Exorcist. Right on. It, it sounds like uh, one of those games that did not leave Asia, uh, arcade-wise and things Probably like that. Probably so. not. All right. That's uh, something to look forward to. This movie, Revenge of Love Story, also stars Japanese AV idol. I knew model and actress uh, Aoi Sora or Sola in some in uh, when you watch uh, other credits of hers aka Blue Sky okay. did you know of her uh, offhand when you saw like boom I masturbated I mean seen her in uh, <laughs> movies <laughs> yeah I remember her name being thrown around a lot back in the uh, early 2000s was she, she was straight hardcore porn at one point right it seemed like it based on um, based on research I mean uh, but, but but by this point in uh, you know uh, 2010 she had started to make a transition from porn to mainstream entertainment um, including on TV and in the 2004 pink film that you might encounter in your research uh, Tsumugi uh, she retained her popularity as an AV idol over the next few years and uh, also scored high-profile gigs such as a high school girl in the romantic comedy Raw Summer that actually picked up an award, the grand prize at the Yubari uh, International Fantastic Film Festival in 2006. She was appearing regularly on television, whether in variety shows or dramas at this point, and... Uh, I never got the impression she abandoned the AV world, but obviously her work was more infrequent around this time because she started to do movies and TV and going abroad to do these things as well because she appeared in a Thai horror film called Hormones in uh, at some point here. She has done Korean TV drama. She, she appeared in the 2009 series Korean Classroom. And back in Japan, she starred as a zombie-killing stripper in the 2010 comedy horror film Big Tits Zombie. <laughs> you, remember, you remember Master of I Me mean, see, seeing that movie? <laughs> I remember seeing advertisements for that movie. I never actually saw it. Probably better advertisement than movie. I'm not just uh, yeah. guessing. Uh, this was followed, all of this, by the Hong Kong venture at hand here in the Revenge A Love Story. And uh, she has acquired quite a sizable following in China as well and has a por- performed at least one Mandarin Chinese song. So she's trying not singing as well. Uh, she reportedly did express regret making Revenge A Love Story, but she was paid well. So I guess that makes you sort of swallow out the dissatisfaction uh, easily. But... Um, 
uh, it's a shame because um, this is not a shameful part necessarily, or an, any a part that exploited her. So uh, it's a um, it's a it's a proper movie. And uh, as for the short opinions of said proper movie, uh, if uh, he feels it was a proper movie, Revenge: A Love Story, we'll find out right now. So Joshua, in short, what did you think of Revenge: A Love Story? I thought it was a proper movie. Proper movie, damn it! Gosh darn it! It's a proper movie. With p- proper things in it, like pregnant women being sliced up. <laughs> Some of my favorite things. But uh, no, actually, I did. I actually uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, I like a dark thriller. I like uh, crazy serial killer movies. I like uh, plot twists. Also, I, I don't know that, that we'll get into it. I'm quite certain, but. Uh, always intrigued by like uh, films where the police are in many ways presented as the bad guys and people you know going out for revenge against authority like that i don't know something about it it's like it's the american thing of like uh we're we all just want to be cowboys and fucking bandits i guess or something so well well well, well templates old or new can always be interesting and uh, worth a shot you know and uh, this one certainly has a template that's um, that's actually quite effective uh, i i do not like it full all the way through because um wh- when it goes for the actual story content and uh, focus on that and essentially acts like the full-on revenge thriller that it is it's good cruelty to punch you and it's cruel um there are some minus points but a few there's sparse but there are some minus points for pretentiousness that uh, wants to make the cycle of revenge deeper and more profound than it actually is you know start starting with the uh, uh title cards the chapter headings that appear throughout the movie i thought that was uh no that doesn't fit your movie because you're making a different movie so just strip that and you're still a good movie you know yeah, that that definitely sounds like a Juno Mac thing there. <laughs> well, based on Sons of the Neon Knight or whatever, blood weeps and the eternal streets of hell and everything's weeping and I've heard you, if you say balloons, you're more important as a filmmaker. I've heard that from somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, for, you know, thankfully all of that doesn't dominate, is my, is my opinion, because, uh, you know, it starts with chapter one, there's an opening quote about devil and hell on earth, but for, thankfully it, it doesn't have that as a full concept but i think it's problematic when you put that on top at least my sort of art radar goes off like nope that's not what i signed up for nope 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 okay you're doing good you're doing better things now because all of a sudden juno mac is uh, attacking this man you know and this we witnessed this sort of uncut struggle after he stabbed a man in the neck and then he just locks him down and waits till he doesn't move anymore you know the camera lingers on that and uh that that was the switch for the movie where you realized, okay, this movie is um, showing us things. You know what I mean, Joshua? Like like a, a big uncut struggle, not bloody, but an uncut struggle nonetheless, where Juno is this just silent force. Uh, so it, it switched from pretentiousness to seemingly a straightforward movie at that point for you. You know, going back on the whole uh, the chapters thing, I, I do feel like that. You know that it's so easy to look over because you know the the rest of the movie just kind of continues and you just randomly get these chapter breaks where you know the devil then you know fought with the blood of a Irishman or something you know whatever <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so you just like yeah whatever man you know continue on so you, you tend to look over that but yeah that was incredibly out of place in this this movie 
uh, Wong Ching Po, the director so far, he has more concerned himself with visual style rather than pretentious style. So I'm thinking maybe that is from Juno Mac indeed. And his sort of uh, story concept was to put cha- chapter headings uh, on top of things here. Yeah, and I didn't feel like the the pieces that had the uh, chapter headings were actually very uh, fitting. You know, like you didn't really feel like, oh, well, now it's the end of the chapter. You know, now we're starting something. It, instead, it's just like, Here's a chapter heading, but we're going to continue the same exact story and sequence of events that was going on right beforehand, you know? Did, did it have trouble rebounding, you think? Because uh, after one of the first, we, we cut to obviously a various amount of discoveries. Uh, you know, for instance, when, when they uh, in slow motion pick up this body bag out of the river and eventually cuts open that body bag. Like By that point, which is, which is just a few minutes later, do you think the movie has com- completely rebounded into uh, sort of a straightforward narrative and, uh, and the chapter headings was lost from your memory at that point? So. Yeah, for the most part, because like... It, yeah, you know, you do get those chapter headings and then you do get into, okay, well, here's this quote unquote serial killer doing all of these things. But soon we find out, well, he's not your typical serial killer. I guess it was just happenstance that he attacked two pregnant ladies. You know, why were they both pre- I don't know, but the pregnant women really aren't the source of the attack. So it was kind of like, you know, it's kind of a swerve. So you kind of quit paying attention to it, and you kind of quit paying attention to these devil versus whatever. It really does just uh, split. They, they split the movie in two in a way, but not in a bad way, because Wong Ching Po, the director, gets into the procedural of it all. And mm-hmm. uh, the sort of unflinching brutality and aftermath of things, so which is uh, almost very beautiful in a way because he he's slow like he lingers on things but like his camera moves into things in a slow fashion like like they're not beautiful as such but they're not startling images the the gruesome images seeing this lady with her belly cut open but he isn't going for it or the uh no stuttering editing effects or whatever so there's both the procedural which is effective enough and and some more serene imagery despite being some of the more gruesome imagery of the last decade in a Hong Kong movie <laughs> you know I, I have a weakness for a procedural movie when it's done well I, I can watch those things sure. so, so you know when the cops react to these things when they uh, find these gruesome uh, these gruesome sites in that bag that's ready to burst open and the, the veterans here you know Chin Siu Ho and Tony Ho when they react to this uh, I thought um, the movie settled into a groove very well, and uh, he, Wong Ching Po started to build and starting to fill in the blanks. So it, it wasn't feeling cringy um, at all in terms of like, oh, we're making an art film too. Like, no, no. I think they've stopped making the art film. <laughs> and they, they don't make the art film for long stretches, thankfully. So from, from that point, it was, you know, the arrow was pointed straight ahead, so to say. I agree. Is that um, I, I know you you have uh, a high threshold for these things, but but could could you deem and sort of say to yourself, well, this is more gruesome than your regular Hong Kong movie of the new millennium, the, the kind of sights that Wong Ching Po crafts for us? Yeah, I would say so. I, I don't think that it's as gruesome as uh, certainly as the films of the past, but yeah, for today's society and for uh. You know, what we expect of Hong Kong today, which is like, you know, 
usually something that glorifies China by the end of the film. Oh, this doesn't. It glorifies <laughs> the devil, maybe? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, or Jesus? In a way. Did, did you recognize any of the veterans offhand? Like, oh my god, that's that's him from Mr. Vampire, or that's Tony Ho from 3D Seconds and Sun, or whatever. Or they were just sort of veterans, veteran faces to you. I just faces, yeah, faces I recognize, but I couldn't tell you any names off top. Well, when when you uh, when you think of Mr. Vampire, you know uh, him being one of the helpers of Lam Xingying along with Ricky Hoy. Do you remember the face Chin Su Ho or Mr. Vampire is long gone from your memory by now? Uh, Mr. Vampire himself, of course. Yeah, uh, who, who who might have if he was still alive, he might have gotten a a veteran role like this. But uh, I'm who, sure he would have. Well, what you what you sort of need to remember is that if a theme is present, is that Juno Mac is casting or is involved in movies with veteran cast, and I think that's quite admirable because they're not washed up and they they can bring it. So I mean, they're not challenging roles, right? But are they veteran, solid veteran presences as the in, in these cop roles with dubious morality? A lot of great faces, yeah, a lot of great faces in here, uh, especially. Uh... When we get into the night of when all the bad shit starts happening, you know, the reason for the uh, the fucking revenge from the title, you get some, you know, some good performances, some just really just shitty fucking people. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, the main one who, who turns up, obviously, throughout the movie and is the main one towards the end. I mean, you, you won't recognize him as such, but, the, uh, but not that he looks bad. But I had to look him up and uh, the actor is Lao Wing. And he was the um, he was the son of the big boss in the Bruce Lee movie, The Big Boss. Wow. Very young, obviously, in, in that movie. But uh, that, that's him. And I was looking at before and after pictures, so to say, now versus then. He looks great. You know, I'm sure he, I'm sure he's in his 60s or whatever. But he just looked great and had a face for for pure evil in this one. You know, pure <laughs> pure drunken evil. And he's a cop as well. So, yeah, yay for all of us. Too downbeat for you? Or uh, this movie doesn't get to you in terms of um, being too pessimistic and too nihilistic? Oh, no. No, I thought uh, I thought it was appropriately toned for the subject matter. It does make me think a lot about Juno Mac. Like he's a pretty dark guy, man. For uh, this rigor mortis, rigor mortis for the record, it's not like disturbing and like super pessimistic. It's just quite great, moody and atmospheric, and and then treats the horror as horror, which is great actually. But when I think about, um, you know, the fact that I am sure, I highly doubt that his music is as uh, darkly toned. Nope. <laughs> you know, Canto Pop Star, he wasn't doing black metal. So it, it just, it, it's funny to me to, to imagine like Justin Timberlake, like he starts writing a movie about pregnant women getting slaughtered. And, uh, you know, his next movie after that's like an homage to Friday the 13th like you know like it would be different you know well that's a that's hong kong cinema industry for you that you don't know with certain characters what they have in the creative bank right and and also they have the freedom to take so many roles so we talk often about it would not happen in hollywood that that an actor could go from Dr. Lamb to a romantic comedy the same year and know what bat an eyelid, I, what Simon Yam yeah. did, for instance. So, uh, But Juno is, um, is, uh, is physical in this role. He's been uh, thrown around and uh, doesn't seem to be precious about 
his image that way, which I, I applaud him for. for because um, the, the guys get to uh, kick the shit out of him, and it doesn't look uh, neat and soft as they as they do so. You know, because you wonder how far into the ear they held that uh, thing, that spike into his ear during the interrogation sequence. It looks like somewhat uh, method. Makes you wonder if, I mean, could it have been a little CG or something? Because it did look like they went deep in that ear. Clever CG, if so. Yeah, I was like, oh man, because that looked like that would be awful. Yeah, very much so. But, but you know, it, it's, it might, might be a somewhat lower budget film but this but the obvious cg effects that they do provide here are fairly well done considering it's also from 2010 when juno mac uh, uh there's a car approaching him and he needs to jump out of the way and uh, i thought that looked good granted it's set at night so you can obscure details and the issue of something being cut and pasted into a scene but uh there's an example of you later in the movie where he avoids that car that was yeah it's an effect you can't do that but Still looks uh, good for the type of movie we're we're dealing with here. I've seen worse effects in big budget movies. By the way, I was just looking up John uh, Tony Liu, and uh, he looks like he was also the guy that John Saxon fought in uh, Enter the Dragon, the one that uh, when he had what was his name, Black Belt Jones on the uh, sidelines making bets for him, and he he is indeed an Enter the Dragon. I don't remember Enter the Dragon that much, but because, but but uh, you obviously have actor and cameo galore. Uh, galore there and spotting so and he was a golden harvest player so that makes sense that they had access to him so um that's a uh, well spotted that you actually remembered him from that so quite a journey from that to a revenge love story but uh, i i like i like that because won't you pose a new director as well he's a young director and i like when they can sort of get the respect of the elders uh, because there's material here it might be a basic revenge story as we get into a flashback they build the positive and then we're taken down you know but it's still material man it's uh and i think you can sense that the veterans embraced you know even cop roles like this because it, it, it's still a fair challenge for an actor to uh take on this morally dubious type of uh character especially chin su ho and tony ho's roles because they aren't the cheerleaders of evil but they they go with it to a degree and that's, in my opinion, I don't know what you think, but uh, in my opinion, that's enough of sort of a chunk of challenging material where I thought like, yeah, they respond well to that. And that's interesting enough where they they uh, they let this evil uh, continue. They're not doing mm-hmm. anything about it. And you wonder why. A lot of challenging material on the film. A lot of, I don't know, just a, a series of well-executed scenes, I would say. I, I, it has its problems. But uh, overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. When we get into the flashback, obviously, um, these two characters connect. It almost seems like Juno Mack is ever so slightly, not introverted, but almost mentally challenged himself. But she certainly is. You know, again, it's not a movie that's politically correct, but it's not doing it for sensation. This issue of, right. uh, well, a mentally challenged girl is going to be raped eventually. We can say that much, but uh, not by Juno. And uh, so the movie doesn't play nice, but it's uh, it's not doing anything wrong. It's fiction. It's not encouraging <laughs> anything. It's a story. Um, and that she is uh, almost uh, of a little girl's mind and therefore rough. In the, she doesn't know how to act and all of that. And uh, she's fresh emotionally as a character. I think that works for her as an actress. It, it's sort of a role that's tailored almost to her inexperience in drama. 
and uh, so I, I I thought they fit very well together, and that she did well, uh, which is a shame then that she apparently didn't like it in the rearview mirror that this movie happened or that she uh, appeared in it. But uh, who knows why? I mean, I, I just hope that the filmmakers were open with the fact that well, you are gonna do nudity, <laughs> you know? right? So so it wasn't that uh, that where the dissatisfaction stemmed from, but. Uh, in, in terms of acting and uh, the overall sort of uh, how she fits into the whole, uh, you gotta build towards revenge, you gotta build hatred, not towards her, but uh, she's she's the sort of, <laughs> uh, let's say something pretentious, she's the sort of angel that gets crushed by the devil. <laughs> so uh, how do you think she fares in terms of the whole drama of it all? Did, did you find that she actually presented uh, the character in much of a way that you could say, oh, she's mentally handicapped or anything like that? A little bit, just because she um, she she felt a bit hesitant and didn't seem to understand situations as such. Um, it, it wasn't just that she was shocked due to loss, but it it sounded like she was uh, and act, she acted like uh, she didn't really uh, know how to navigate the world. She she was acting like she was five, six, seven, or something like that. Right. I mean, there's there's like that sequence where. Uh, she disappears and her grandmother, who's evil and mean, <laughs> comes around looking for her and uh, she went off wandering into the woods or basically or what have you. And basically, you know, oh, I got lost. I guess that's supposed to show that she's, you know, mentally slow. But they do say it, even though it's an exposition thing, but they do say it. It's like everybody in town basically, you know, calls her the R word, calls her retarded. Yeah. But. But it, it, I, I didn't think that the film really displayed anything that showed that in any kind of fashion. And I don't know if that was just their her idea, their idea to just, oh, let's just play it very light. Let's not show, you know, anything that too much maybe that, so it's not as disturbing to the sequence where later she gets raped. I don't know if that was what was going on or what. She, she hasn't got the tools to sort of... Um not fight back but to talk back she she's in a situation where she's uh, victimized obviously and she seems like she has no reference for what is going on around her and then mm-hmm. some dark stuff happens to her obviously a mix of that and shock i guess but um it, she she it did feel to me like she was a little bit mentally challenged like she was more more of a small girl uh mentally I mean, I'm not asking for them to go full on Hong Kong, you know, cross-eyed and uh, <laughs> doing the kind of typical th- stuff that you might expect. But I think that it could have been played a little bit more broad in order to kind of sell it so that you don't have to say it and you could just show it. Not quite like the other sister, that movie or anything like that, but I mean, just just enough that it stands out like, oh, she has the mind of a child, you know, maybe she, I don't know something yeah non-verbal is a challenge and maybe Wong Ching-Po he did a bit too much non-verbal I suppose uh, you know even their connection is a little bit non-verbal it seems like they're the only two characters that can connect in this dark world and that doesn't work out at all because uh, obviously it all goes to hell um, you know and it, it, there's nice touches here even action wise if you want, want to be fair because when uh, Juno Mac jumps La Wing in the uh, in the home of the prostitutes, like there's some nice primal action there, where he, fl- you know, he jumps him and then flips the table over him. He's got his pants down his ankles at that point, lowing. So there, there's even some action touches that make sense and uh, are well done because uh, those aren't manufactured set pieces, Joshua. They're more 
Well, let's let's do this, guys. Uh, the table is not going to hurt as we fl- flip it onto you, but we're going to do it. Does it overstate its sort of um, purpose of the whole centerpiece where she's raped in the police station and all of that? Because it goes on for quite a while and they do it again, I think. They do it twice even. And Juno Mac can't do anything about it. Or is that good fuel for the revenge as, as depicted? It certainly wasn't uh, I spit on your grave, you know, it wasn't like a 45 minute sequence or anything like that. I thought that it was played well enough. I, I didn't think it was really graphic, you know, as graphic as a lot of these films tend to be. More about mood, mood I think, and then uh, yeah. picking moments, moments to showcase that these characters have no care in the world. Uh, right. A few of them. They think it's pretty funny. And yeah. uh, they talk about Viagra and uh, things like that. Well, they should, you know, those pills are good. Those pills are bad for you. Meanwhile, in the other room, you have like uh, Juno Mac hanging from the roof by a handcuff, which was br- a brilliant little set piece. I thought that was, you know, horrifying to see. And he's being forced to watch, basically. I mean, that, that was dark, morbid stuff, but highly effective. They do it for a brief bit, but just because he watches it for 20 minutes or whatever doesn't mean that we should watch it for 20 minutes. Sure. I, think, I think Wong Ching Po chooses as the final sequence plays out for us uh, good enough moments where we feel this is you know a hellhole. And Chin Siu Ho and uh, Tony Ho, they, they, they don't do anything about it. Maybe it's seniority that they can't do anything about it because they, they are not senior officers. So they're just in this sort of cycle where, well, this is happening and... Well, we got to work towards promotion. Maybe we'll get out of this police station if we just work towards uh, promotion. But they're, they're, they're equally guilty, obviously. And so there's no... Uh, uh, you don't feel compassion for, for them because they are they are involved. They don't rape, but they are involved, obviously. I think uh, w- once this sort of revenge cycle and events start, um, they're, they're good. There, there are some problems here. One, by the way, they, they, this movie is short. So they, they get to this stuff fairly quickly. And uh, there are some touches here, like uh, when um, maybe it's a trope that you just need to look past. But like when Juno Mac, he's the perfect infiltrator. He can get into a hospital and get out of a hospital. No problem. <laughs> right. Just dress in white and put on a mask and he can pursue his goals in the hospital. I thought that was like, come on, like, don't you're a stylized reality. There is a drained color to this whole reality. But that was to me like a trope and a cliche that didn't work because uh, it seems like it seems so effortless like he's a master criminal and and he isn't he, he's a he's he's primal he wants revenge but uh i don't know I, I, that, that bothered me a little bit and i need to ask you something as i mean it's a spoiler but uh, as tony ho dies i had to rewind it a couple of times i did not understand what happened to him as tony ho uh, goes up in flames as he struggles with Juno Mac, with uh, uh, they're at the gas pump, I think, or something like that, and then he shoots him and he, he ignites because he has gasoline all over him. But I don't know what happened there. Did he get sliced or something? Or do, do you remember offhand any debates of that sequence? Yeah, yeah I re- rewound it a little bit too. It, it looked like uh, he was holding him and he had a gas pump like up next to his throat. Or something like that. And so it looked like maybe Juno Mac had like taken the gas pump and maybe slightly stabbed him or something from like, you know, pointed it at him and it cut him or something like that. But 
the gas was spraying, I guess, at that point. And so when he took his gun and he shot him, you know, of course, it, it in the film it ignited the gas, and that's what did that. But yeah, you didn't really see a whole lot of squirting coming from that uh, gas pump. Yes, his torso ignites as well at that point. You know, right. he, he not only shoots him in the stomach, but, you know, his whole torso implodes. Great as a sequence. He's very well executed. Uh, it's not the death uh, that you've seen a thousand times in revenge movies, right? It's, uh, for, for me, it felt fresh enough, especially for a Hong Kong movie. Like, wow, Simon Yam didn't do this in the 90s. Anthony Wong didn't do this in the 90s to anyone. So there are some atmospheric things towards the end, and I guess we shouldn't spoil all of them. But I think... The movie snaps back into pretentiousness mode a little bit. Uh, structurally, it's fine. But um, there's a few too many beats here about revenge that are, it's too wordy. right? It's uh, about character seeks redemption and argues to himself that he's redeemed in a way where I thought the movie wasn't it was it was taken on too much I think yeah in terms of the revenge angle of it all. I like the fact that we cut to a few years later and that's fine it's a bit unrealistic i won't spoil why uh, uh let's just say juno mac is a durable character <laughs> but he, as he re-meets if you will a character towards the end the, the whole beat's about concluding the cycle of revenge that's fine but i thought the uh, wong ching po and maybe juno mac in consultation with juno mac they were pouring it on a little bit in terms of the religious angle of it all and uh oh yeah you know what i mean like a, i don't know you, you you can spoil it if you like but but i thought that the this the text and the theme outside of the revenge it was i, I didn't need it necessarily because it was all about the physical i i need to get to one more i'm right. not done yet and that was fine because you have atmosphere you have mood enough like a, a uh, like established mood to support something simple as that, and it didn't need to be more important than that. So I think it didn't lose me by the end, but I know what things I didn't like during the ending. I, uh, you know, I still don't know exactly what the the finale was going for. Uh, kind of sh- a strange thing. Yeah, all of a sudden the film takes a twist into okay. I won't spoil who. A person dies at the end. I won't spoil who it is, but uh, essentially it's like the film has kind of two or three finales towards the end. And yeah, one series and one sequence ends and you think, well, that could very well be the end of the film. They could just have like a little wrap up thing. But instead, there's more revenge after the revenge. And this revenge features, you know, a character that has turned their life around you know maybe you don't really you get the idea the film presents it in a way that you think that this character is perhaps putting it on like that's what i took from it that was my take as well it didn't seem genuine as as such not at all and because you don't see anything it's basically like having a character do really really awful things and then we cut to a sequence you know five years later and they're talking about oh there was this bit in my life where you know, I was in a really dark place, and then I immediately, right after the cameras quit rolling on the last scene that you saw me in, I went and I found Jesus. Imagine if uh, Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas would have done that. Like, 
I right. don't think that's genuine, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it, and it, of course he's on TV too yep. saying this. So it's presented in the fashion he's wearing all white. He looks like he has money now. You know, and you start, you know, you can't help but go, oh, this looks a little phony. So we get that, and then our character comes back for revenge again on this character and ends up, and, and you know, I sent you a picture earlier of, like, my desktop, Ken, and you were like, you know, there's a half-naked man on the screen. Oh, wait, that's Jesus. Well, I, was, I was just looking up. I was it Body see... Christ, by the way? It wasn't Body Christ, it was... right? No, I was looking up the uh, the wounds of Jesus, and... uh Sure enough, the film kind of goes for that. Like uh, it, during the revenge sequence, we get, you know, at first he shoots the character for some reason in the hand. And then as he's shooting him again, he shoots him in the other hand. Boom, boom, stigmata. He also shoots him in the leg, but the legs not quite the same as typical for Jesus. And then he shoots him in the side which is typical for Jesus. So you, it's like he's recreating the wounds of Christ. No. But also adding in a headshot, apparently, but we don't get to see where the last bullet is. I'm following this up with a sequence with like a bunch of uh, choir children becoming, you know, zombies. Uh, strange. You know, you know, as Josh talks about it, yes, it is a lot, but it isn't. The, the, the sequence is oddly quiet in a way, too. Even partly hypnotic as it's as it's crafted. Uh, I I just thought that. I like this sequence as part of the cycle of revenge. Sometimes the cycle of revenge is endless. And that's a fine enough theme for me. But I didn't really care that he brought in a, albeit a phony religious angle to it all. It didn't need that necessarily. Again, I didn't tune out of the movie. I was quite pleased uh, by the end. I just recognized the, the weaknesses from a young filmmaker and a young actor that provided the story but I, I do have to say my favorite moment in the movie is towards the end here because for once joshua this is a movie that does a monologue before the final violent events because they sit down to have tea and to talk of each about you know talk to each other and uh, you expect a monologue but no juno mac just flips the tables and boom you there know i thought that was re- like like uh, uh, refreshing that uh I'm not time for this shit. Boom! In a hand. And, you know, get to the point. That's part alone wasn't artificial, but uh, he wraps it up, but I think um, there, there are problems here. You, you, you described it very well, that uh, he's going for quite a lot. Uh, and uh, you wonder then, because I haven't seen Let's Go, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, if Wong Qingpo has left this behind him, that he got his art out of him. Because uh, if you're doing a send-up of Tokusatsu Entertainment you're not going to do something downbeat about Jesus, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're going to make it colorful. I'm not willing to say that I dislike it or if I like this, the finale there. I I haven't quite figured out what he's going for. Like, okay, why is that character going to be like a Christ-like figure, you know? I, I, I think it's the most unfair thing that would happen in this movie. That's what I took right. from it. Like, what character would shouldn't seemingly walk away from this and it's um, you know before the final sequence that is and it's that character you know it's that that it's the most frustrating beat um which is almost like he's toying with us as audiences which which is partly clever in my opinion so uh, that's what i took from it like uh, is it does it have something to do with okay you know what does christ represent forgiveness you know so is 
that there, like in the killing of this character, does that allow him to forgive himself? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I still haven't pieced together exactly what they're going for here, but you can attempt these things. It's a, it's fine, and if you're con- evolving and continual filmmakers, you either continue to evolve these themes or move on to something else, and. Uh, you know, it's fine, I guess, but um, uh, I wouldn't be displeased if Wong Ching-Po or Juno Mac, uh, depending on what happens in that Sons of the Neo Knight, uh, if, if they never return to he- like darker, heavy territory like this again, uh, maybe they got it out of their system, maybe they're not, maybe they're super pleased about how it turned out, or maybe they thought like, well, a little shaky at the end, but we did our best. Let's make <laughs> a let's make a fun movie about Japanese entertainment. Everybody likes that. Let's go. Yay. We'll call it that too. Fun movie about Japanese entertainment. Exactly. Not pinko entertainment, but uh, colorful uh, tokusatsu entertainment and special effects and things like. Uh, but yeah, I st- still pleased. I've seen it twice, and uh, I think it's uh, an effective revenge movie. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased that Category Three is, albeit sparsely and in bursts, still alive, so to say. And uh, in in Hong Kong cinema, you can still push buttons and this movie certainly does uh, uh, you know it doesn't feature you know long takes of where f- women's uh, stomachs being sliced open but we still see gruesome aftermaths like you read about so yes don't don't necessarily watch this with your pregnant lady i hope you didn't joshua <laughs> i just pray that you didn't i didn't she came in on a couple parts and was just like, like no nope. <laughs> you're watching those terrible hong kong movies again huh and i'm like yeah that's why you married me <laughs> It's better. It's better than the sheep movie, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, so yeah. But still, I was pleased. I was pleased. There's promise here, and uh, it, it come it comes to fruition in quite a few places. So. But as for availability, then recommended edition for me would have to be the UK DVD from Terror Cotta. The, the company is called Terra Cotta Distribution, but yeah. their sub label is Terror Cotta, their horror label. Because it also features a subtitle making off and, ex- and an exclusive interview with producer Conroy Chan. So uh, that's, um, he was uh, at least once married to Josie Ho, and I think they produced Dream Home as well, which Dunamak is in partly. I think he's the guy who gets a bong bottle shoved into his neck. And then, like, uh, that bottle fills up with blood. Quite an amusing effect. Uh, so they like to produce gore, uh, Josie Ho and Conroy. So there you are. Have you seen Dream Home yet, the movie, that movie? I still have not. Still have not. From the director of Bulgaria comes gore. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it because it, it's also, like, unashamedly doing drama about uh, the state of housing and how expensive things are in Hong Kong. While also yeah. being a fun gore movie, which makes you think... Is he meaning anything of this? Or is he just <laughs> having fun? I can't decide, but I like it. So fuck it. I might as well like it. <laughs> All right, buddy. That's the dark one out of out, out of uh, out of the way. We're going to take a musical break. And after that, we're going to review an old-timey sex movie. Again, <laughs> on this show. Yeah. Temptation Summary from 1990 from famed uh, photographer and director uh, Hofan. And we've uh, covered these movies many times on this show. After the break, we're going to cover another one called Temptation Summary. So sit tight and we'll be back.
And welcome back in the second episode, the second movie of this episode, Robber. We don't do two episodes out of two movies necessarily. There's, these two should be cracked. They should be uh, into one, like the dark movie and light movie in one. So everybody walks away happy. So hopefully, depending on his uh, views, Joshua, he walked away happily from Temptation Summary from 1990. But plot, first of all, from my review of the film, uh, losing uh, their father to arousal and a final erection. Uh, <laughs> he proclaims the father that uh, what his will is uh, is going to be in his last dying breaths and uh, the sons in question that lost their father are Man played by Lee Chung Ling and Ray played by Ricky Chan and the deal in the will if you if you will is that one of them must marry before they're 35 years old otherwise there's no money or it goes to the other brother I think yeah. uh, the older of the brothers Man seems like the best and the worst candidate because uh, not only is his uh, 35th upcoming, he's also totally disinterested in women. He's, uh, he's a teacher, uh, he's into antiques, and he would rather read. By women bring trouble. Trouble, indeed. That, that's his, uh, that's his uh, quote. Indeed. Phrase. <laughs> and uh, he would rather, rather read um, books about uh, Greek statues at a pool party with semi-naked women. That's Lee, that's Lee Chung Ling for you. Uh, the younger brother is more of the player, but uh, and and does not really show care for his uh, for his brother and um, uh, his future. He would rather probably win that competition. So it's uh, it's on, but uh, they'll, they'll be friends by the end, sort of. So it's not a dark movie as such. Uh, what it is is also another movie from the legendary photographer turned smut director. With a quite unmatched visual flair, and his name is Ho Fan, and he's possibly the filmmaker whose movies we've covered the most on this show, including his uh, comedy about making category three movies that was made as Temptation Summary 2. We got a couple of misadventures in fooling in the form of Girl with Long, long Hair and Wild at Heart. His adaptation of the novel Sex and Sen was based on, turned up on the show in the form of the movie You Poison 2. And who, who can forget the nauseating slow-mo rape in Hidden Desire. So um, he's got a dark Charlie venture as part of his achievements. Charlie isn't in this movie, funnily enough. He was not just a photography buff as a young man, how fun that is, but he also came up through Shaw Brothers as an actor. Maybe you've seen him in one of these... Uh, adaptations of journey to the west that shaw brothers produced i've seen the first one uh, journey to the west and then uh, sorry uh, Mo- the monkey goes west and then they did further movies called princess iron fan cave of the silken web and the land of many perfumes and whole fun played the monk in that uh, in that movie so he wasn't a monkey king or anything like that uh, whole fun would direct independently but also erotic movies at shaw brothers such as adventure in denmark the mentioned girl with the long hair, and further down the road, uh, the movie at hand here, Temptation Summary 2, was the first category free movie to surpass the 10 million Hong Kong dollar sort of um, uh, ceiling at the box office uh, because it just uh, it was just a little over 10 million when it was released in 1990. So it was a fair hit. Uh, the sequel to this one and uh, that movie Hidden Desire that we talked about during one of the Christmas episodes because slow-mo rape by Doc Charlie uh, deserves to be slotted into the Christmas special. That's how messed up I am. <laughs> of course. Uh, we both disliked that movie heavily and neither of those movies, uh, Temptation Summary 2, which is great, and Hidden Desire, they were less enthusiastically received by the audiences. Uh, so maybe those audiences... Um, by 1991 thought that films of category 3 were rubbish, Joshua. In joke. 
but during his 90s period, uh, as we've established, there's a lot of fun comedy to be had. Um, Wild at Heart, the misadventures in fooling, uh, is the is the movie where the guy paints a a tuxedo uh, on on his naked body. Great scene. No one will ever know. And then obviously someone spills something on it, and then it's then the comedy is on. Waka waka. Waka waka. Uh, they were more low profile, a majority of his movies in the 90s, though. He did a couple of art movies that I quite liked. Uh, but eventually he uh, re- uh, relocated to America and um, he didn't direct his last movie in America, but he came back to direct the movie in Taiwan in 1997. And he passed away from pneumonia in 2016 in San Jose, California, at the age of 84. And three of Hofan's movies were officially selected for the International Film Festival in Cannes. Five of them are in the permanent collection of the National Film Archives in Taiwan and Hong Kong. And Joshua, w- willing to bet that one of them is Hidden Desire? Yes. By mistake, and now we're stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna play it for incoming visitors. Like, uh, this is what we offer up here in the archive. <laughs> that Charlie Cho? Yes. This is what our country has been known for. <laughs> exactly. The dark history of, it, of the country. <laughs> so uh, that's some basic notes on whole fun that I repeated from elsewhere, but I thought that I wanted to establish that because I like whole fun. I'm, I'm, a great, I'm a great fan of his visual flair and his comedy. And uh, are you as well in the case of this movie, Joshua? So short bite-sized opinion, first of all, therefore, of Temptation Summary. What's your summary of Temptation? <laughs> I wasn't that tempted. Uh, no, it's a movie that's uh, parts are better than its whole. I find that uh, has some solid scenes. Just didn't click with me that much, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a half and half for me. I think it's a mm. overall perfectly enjoyable sex comedy made with someone, made by someone with a better eye for these things. Uh, both sex and comedy because some things are funny uh, it, it looks uh, sort of uh, like he's making it on autopilot but if you look at it he's he's the way he goes about it whole fun he is he's sort of uh, above average uh, when it comes to makers of this kind of sex comedy um, a lot more effort versus other directors that we've talked about on this show um, although I, I think it's Lee Chung Ling's part of the story that's more fun versus that of his brother's story because I didn't care about the uh, the Ray character or whatever his name was at all right. I thought uh, I wanted to see more Lee Chung Ling break out of his shell absolutely but I can see why audiences thought it was enjoy- this was enjoyable, though, because it requires nothing uh, of you, but it delivers somewhat well. And in 1990, we didn't have as many of these movies as we had in subsequent years when Charlie Cho made so many movies per year of this kind. I, I agree completely in the fact that I feel like the film establishes itself. Like, let's watch Lee Chung Ling. This is his story. This The, the whole entire crux of the plot, it, it falls on his shoulders. And for probably two-thirds of the film, we focus on the other brother, who just has his misadventures and fooling, you know? Yeah, it's not, it's not too much to that. I don't even remember if he... Well, he, he helped his brother by the end, but I don't think he changed that much. And that's no. What, I mean, we're not looking for depth here, but they're very contrasting paths, these characters. And what one of them was way more enjoyable, because Lee Chung Ling is almost per default when he's uh when he's a sort of shy introverted and uh it's almost adorable uh when he's um sort of uh anti-female in this movie and i feel like uh you know by taking away from him you know i don't know it just doesn't it does not hold as much uh interest for me you know and and so much of it 
like uh i mean it does eventually fold back into like here's the plot the plot's coming back you know in the final 10 15 minutes but so much of it is just uh reasons to get naked i mean i guess that's all of these films but you do you do hope for that semblance of a plot you know yeah it rebounds a little bit you're, you're right but uh, um there, there's a big third or maybe close to two thirds indeed in the movie where uh, where the focus isn't quite right but it starts um uh, on location in africa <laughs> totally on location in africa joshua you won't talk me out of this this was totes in an african hut in uh-huh. africa the opening scene that's very medically sound i'm sure mm-hmm. did, did you see the black people because they come from africa I so saw that's... the black people and their titties bouncing in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bouncing in closer. So, uh, want to set the stage? Uh, we we see a sick man who's been uh, apparently seeking alternate ma- uh, alternate treatment of some kind for his uh, whatever problem he has. Dying, I guess. <laughs> 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 so they're gonna give him something to go out on, something to remember, I suppose. Uh, you you expect me to break down the medical? Uh, <laughs> like yeah, medical you're practice. educated. You know these things. <laughs> I'm sure the nursing was uh, the, from the white nurse, which is Sophia Crawford, by the way. Uh, I, I'm sure that's um, that's something you were taught in school. In your interview with her, did you by chance mention this? Fuck no. <laughs> in all seriousness, if one movie could have been mentioned, because she did a few Category 3 movies, it probably would have been uh-huh. Escape from Brothel. Uh, sure. I did not remember she had this one scene in Temptation Summary. Uh, but but I, I wasn't man enough to sort of go like, hey, let's talk about when you showed your breasts on screen. Because it didn't matter, Joshua. I wanted to sort of talk of her Hong Kong career and how unique uh-huh. it is for someone to break into Hong Kong cinema. And that didn't, in my mind, include... Yeah, let, 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 let's talk the context of getting your clothes off on screen as well. Because you, would you have? <laughs> I think... Oh, no. But... Had had I uh, seen this right beforehand, I would. I have some questions. I have a lot of questions. In fact, after this, that desperately need. To, can we get her? Can we call her right now through Skype? Yeah, we probably could. But uh, no, she's <laughs> she's a busy lady. She's opening her coffee shop for heaven's sake. Sophia, Sophia. So I know I know you're opening your coffee shop, but let's just talk. I mean. <clears throat> what was this the illness that this gentleman was suffering from and how were your boobs clacking together to arise him from this state click <laughs> <laughs> at the very least they didn't ask about buffy again <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh so yeah it's uh i don't know if it's the plot set up to, to get us to the will but it, it's one of those like unashamedly yeah. silly sequences about oh, yeah. get, get, getting the guy which is an older actor as well i'm sure he enjoyed his time on this movie to get, to get the guy that has some final final bodily fun if you will you know final big ass erection he, he's, his cock is big by the way it's massive <laughs> Uh, so I mean it's not visual art but it certainly get, it certainly gets us in the mood in terms of well it's category three and yep. that's what they do and it's not um it's not uh, dull necessarily, right? Yes, uh, it does begin on set in Africa with uh, multiple black people standing around playing on Congo drums. Medicine, <laughs> medicine. <laughs> with, of course, a topless lady playing on the drums as well. 
authenticity. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Followed by like the the lawyer for this dying man, who you know. Is there even a doctor present, by the way? <laughs> no, of course not. Why would you have him there? You have boobs. So the the dying man's on this bed, and honestly, to be you know, the guy really does look like he's dying. He looks so old. Yeah, fr- fr- frail and thin as well. Like. Yeah. Oh man. And he's laying in the bed, and uh, he's basically. I guess he came to Africa so he could be with you know dark women and then he's changed his mind now because he's been with so many that you know he he wants something different and so his lawyer has arranged for a white nurse uh that he imported from Europe to come in and give him one last boner and so she become begins Sophia Crawford begins doing a strip tease that ends with her hovering over the man and like bouncing her boobs together impressively in, in close up too so that's your that's your visual art by Hofa not his most inspired visual art that he's ever done you know we we've complimented his use of color in movie this is a different different kind of color i suppose so. yeah it's just mostly peach like <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's um, i didn't ask her about this uh, it never crossed my mind you know <laughs> But but the more in all seriousness, they, if she, I I I never sort of contemplated it. But if the discussion would have naturally, you know, fallen into the issue of appearing in adult movies, I would have been so curious about Escape from Brothel because it's that mixture of Johnny Wang, the director, made such a hard hitting movie, and you got this in the middle. And how do yeah. how do you even do you even prepare for that? Do you have like a do you do you just walk on the set and they spring this on you, or how does it work in that case to fight nude with Billy Chow? Was it a closed set? Was, exactly. I, mean, how many I would be interested did... in that, but no, I didn't go down those uh, routes. Uh, so, but we haven't reached um, the Superman of it all. We will, but I, I think uh, I, as the switch happened to Li Chung Ling, you know, he's a geeky, likes his precious Chinese antiques and Chinese uh, history, so he's a nerd, obviously. So uh, you wonder, is the Superman the inner desire? Well. Not from him. That's not his inner desire, as we find out. And the other brother, he he woos like... Uh, he, I, I, what I think happened here in the scene where we see the brother in uh, sort of 1920s period where uh, wooing uh, the girl of his choice there in a very, uh-huh. in a very um, proper manner. It seems like they're courting each other in yeah. a very ancient manner. I think it's a parody of Rouge, the Leslie Chung Anita Moy movie. Wow. It's not like straight out of it in terms of, uh, but it's somewhat obvious as well. I thought they were doing like uh, practicing a play or something. I didn't understand what was going on in that scene. To you know, because, because her, she is a courtesan in that movie, Anita Moy. But Leslie Chung is not the customer who just comes in there like, oh, oh, but rather you need to be respectful yeah. and you need to. Um, there's routine. There's um, there's a protocol. So that's why there's almost like they're singing to each other. Uh, so they're, they're role playing these characters. But but in all honesty, I think it's a parody of Rouge, and uh, not that it's funny or anything. I just recognized it and. Uh, uh, and then the, those two characters, which I found amusing, they dispenses with the sexual and just giggles with each other as they proceed to almost have sex. I think that scene is aborted before there's any actual full-on humping or anything. And, and it's drenched in yellow, so there's a visual touch here. There's better visual touches later, but it sort of shows that Hofan always thinks 
of okay how do i spice up visuals ever so slightly anyway i mean i did the titties in close-up i don't don't need to do it again so let's um, play with filters i suppose uh, um so i didn't dislike that as such you know uh, drenched in yellow there's a trump trump joke to be made in there just have not sure how to put it together <laughs> actually on another show we talked about fantasy mission force with jackie chan movie and on my version the subtitles when jackie chan is introduced because he fights this big muscle man in his first scene in fantasy mission force and the announcer says that jackie chan plays the king of orange from new york <laughs> i was like oh that fits so well. <laughs> i'm gonna mention that on the show. In the good parts, anyway, because you, you've seen Ho Fan do comedy, so obviously he's not always doing visual stuff. So, so he he can get good, good energy out of performance. Even in Temptation Summary too, there's a, a fun romance going on there, and there's fun comedy. So, how's this sort of performer energy and fun here? You know, if you think of Lee Chung Ling, or or even think of the token glass-eyed short pervert that this movie utilizes like is there any fun energy in terms of uh, in terms of that um, that you uh, latched onto i found lee chung ling to be awesome in the film i felt like he uh brought a lot of energy i thought his uh, moments in refusing to have anything to do with women were they could have been annoying you know if played wrong but i felt like you know his character could be just hateable enough to like if that makes sense it, it does make sense because you know what he, he could he he's a dumbass until he changes right. because he's so for someone who's so buttoned up he's awfully verbal and an asshole right. about it like he says out loud like women are trouble the enemies yeah. of me and everyone else it's almost like he's he's, he's on a soapbox and no one likes a character like that that proclaims no. his his stupid stuff so uh but right. it's never unlikable because Lee Chung Ling knows how to get away with that and make us believe in that. I call it journey because it is a journey by definition. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he, he was great. I do have problems though with the character that plays the actor that plays the brother. I felt like, uh, very anonymous. Yeah. I felt like so much of it, the film, it just seemed like he was like, a second away from just breaking into a smile and going like, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like he didn't really seem like he was into the film. He's just like, you know, basically just like, okay, what do you guys want me to do? All right. You know, I'm a squeaky teen from the Simpsons all of a sudden. Huh? I'm in a cat free movie. <laughs> Mr. Simpson, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't do that. Um, but I did I just felt like that that was him throughout the whole thing he just had this little smirk in every scene and he just never seemed to be a real character he just seemed like some guy yeah I I agree actually I mean uh, it was never frustrating though a short enough movie and uh, the the visual touches that come and go at least as a fan of whole fun made me sort of sit up while I was waiting for more Lee Chun Ling because um, he, he does something that he he clearly likes, especially at this time, and that is to light next door rooms or hallways in like Suspiria like colors, right? So, yeah. uh, because if characters are in a room that's lit by a normal light bulb, the, out, the outer hallways are blue or red. <laughs> it, it's sort of forced, yes, but I just think it looks, it makes basic sex comedies look a little bit better and that that's something to be appreciated because you and I know that sometimes they're just shooting these 
depressing rooms with vanilla colored walls with nothing on the walls either there's no cinematic techniques at all just boring humping sure and at least we get some you know some splashes of color somewhere just lit something <laughs> yeah uh, because I know you've latched onto that before in movies you've liked more, like Temptation Summary 2. I remember you talk of talking of that. They, like there are some intense colors in there, but it was part of a more enjoyable film. Though, is that anything you noticed? Though, like, oh yeah, I recognize this guy's style from elsewhere. Like, it's... I felt like this film is, you know, used the word anonymous. I felt like this is the most anonymous of his films. I felt like there was less, uh, less style less uh you know interesting material to go off of yeah i i sort of agree i just like like the little little bursts that we get i mean shit even the nude backstroke that's clearly done for us the audience yeah for some reason it it felt a little bit more pretty than than expected because it was just shot on a uh, in a pool at, at a rooftop and yeah. someone doing nude backstroke, but it felt a little bit more pretty than than I was expecting it to be. Funny, well, no, not really, but I, but I can't say I, I I I laughed every now and again at the pathetic uh, little short uh, pervert character. The, the, that's also a virgin because I like in these Hong Kong movies, Joshua, when they're not shy about what they what they do and what they like because this guy openly takes photos of ladies coming out of the pool during the party. <laughs> Click, Jeez. click, <laughs> click, you know, as, as a parade of uh, of ladies uh, that goes on there. So structurally, let's segue into the cat-free Superman of it all, which happens via a, um, another buttoned-up character that has the hots for Li Chung Ling. So obviously you start to root for them to get together. Was she a teacher or just... Um, or... She was also a teacher, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, and he's a professor, so presumably maybe they're in the same profession in a way, like he's teaching history maybe. When that happened, and obviously you, you're going to have to talk about the emergence of the Cat-Free Superman. So by, the, by that point, when they started to pair them up or the potential of them, uh, was that uh, how fun starting to... Was he starting to crop momentum as he started to tell their story? Every scene with Lee Chung Ling and with uh, that actress, I felt like was the best parts of the film. So yeah, like the buildup of their little relationship was great. She has pent up uh, desires, clearly. Absolutely, yeah. She she is as much of a nerdy, you know, she's the nerdy female equivalent of Lee Chung Ling's character, minus the hatred of men or that she might have if she were, you know, an exact copy. So. She really wants to be with Lee Chung Ling. Lee Chung Ling doesn't want anything to do with her. You, you know what? I, I have to say, I'm not sure you have it in your notes, but I love the fact that her first fantasy is not uh-huh. a sexual fantasy <laughs> as such. She fantasizes about uh, their meeting being uh, uh, like a scene out of an opera. Right. Oh, Gr- yes. Granted, she's nude, but <laughs> Lee Chung Ling is singing opera to her. And I thought that was so funny and so adorable ridiculous yeah, and ridiculous <laughs> yeah she is naked in the scene it's revealed that obviously she is a gorgeous lady but um, they, they don't get it on in this fantasy um there will be a fantasy where they well well i'm sure you're gonna talk about that so as i remember the dream sequence uh where cat three man escapes into the world from the erogenous zone by the way is that where he came from 
<laughs> She's at home, you know, of course, masturbating, thinking about Lee Chung Lang. And uh, we get, how many was it? Three or four wolves at the window? Three uh, guys in wolf masks. Well, men in tidy whities yep. wearing wolf masks that are pretty damn realistic, as if, like, they skinned a fucking... And like a uh, black and white uh, chest hair to uh, to, oh, yeah. to simulate fur. <laughs> what the fuck? And so uh, the, the you know first one pops up at the window watching her, and then another one pops up, and then another, and then the next thing you know they're opening the window and uh, like dastardly villains, of which she notices, but uh, they quickly pounce on her and are about to you know rape the young woman when all of a sudden. The door slams open, light emits from behind him, and enters Lee Chung Ling, dressed as Cat 3 Man. <laughs> Can you rationalize why he's Cat 3 Man and not Superman? Because it also explains, it explains to people, well, when we say Cat 3 Man, uh, what is the actual symbol on his chest? Therefore, It's the Cat 3 logo. The rating, the rating yeah. of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, like it would be the equivalent of I'm the NC seventeen man. It's a rating <laughs> on his chest. And why is she of all people, you know, the stuffy, you know, bookworm? Why is she picturing him as category three man? I, I don't know. <laughs> but as a visual, as he enters the movie, and they're, they're clearly riffing on obviously Superman. You can hear it in the score as well. That's an emulation of sorts uh, of uh, the Superman score. John Williams score, right? He did that. Yeah, we get that. We get a um a Eye of the Tiger at one point, as I recall, like a theme song. I can't remember which sequence was it the sex scene. I'm not sure, but it was a very uh, close rendition of Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, for, for once not stolen, but maybe a close rendition of. Yeah, kind of kind of like an old for the wrestling fans out there, kind of like an old WCW theme song. Where you had like people, uh, Raven came out, uh, wrestler Raven used to come out to a, uh, Pearl Jam's Even Flow. Oh but... no. <laughs> yeah. It's it sort like of a... rocking, but still. Okay, wrestling. I get it. I, I guess. <laughs> Shit, even alive would make more sense. I think it was either i can't remember i think that was raven it was either, either raven or fucking chris jericho had the even flow theme and then god what did somebody had uh i think sting's old theme song used to be like ride the lightning <laughs> something like that like i can't remember as a visual and seeing lee chung ling in i mean is it a great visual to have to have all of a sudden this break into the movie with no forewarning at all wouldn't you agree that it's the reason we're probably watching the movie? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, for pretty sure. much it is. It's... I'm sort of glad that it's whole fun crafting this uh, and, and that he was responsible for it. Sure. Because, yeah. because you get, obviously it's easy to back, back backlight him and then blow smoke from behind him and then... But still, it's such an unexpected image and... Uh, you know, it's a fantasy, so of course everyone can craft whatever they like in, the, in their fantasy, of course. Um, hers is a rape fantasy and then and subsequent uh, bonking against a wardrobe uh, door fantasy which is a very he's very impersonal 
uh, in the fantasy because uh, as he has sex with her against the closet door he just sort of, he doesn't look at her he just sort of stares and just does the motion very mm-hmm. impersonal and then flies off so to say but she gets the greatest orgasm of her life obviously because of he's, course he's super so I, I like that in her fantasy he's not that into it but he, he does the business that needs to be done. Uh, so that, that, that's where he was born. And they didn't write this angle uh, other than in the beginning of Temptation Summary 2, where, the, uh, as we said, uh, the actor who plays him there uh, breaks his pelvis as they're making a Category 3 Superman Category 3 movie within the Category 3 movie, Inception. I, I, and I take it back, it was Chris Jericho had the even flow theme. Raven had Come As You Are. 90s. Let me guess. This was somewhere around 1992, 1993. No, it was like mid 90s. No, really? Yeah, that's not hip. That's not hip at all. Perry Saturn had uh, the Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. Oh boy. Uh, okay, so there we are. Your wrestling minute, if you will. So, so okay. The, one of the greatest examples of oh my god, they're padding things, but it's semi enjoyable. But my god, they're padding things. Like uh, on on VCD two, like literally the first five minutes of VCD two is the plumbing sequence, the plumbing gone wrong, and it's almost like uh, uh, obviously it's uh, it's designed as uh, okay, plumbing gone wrong, the the stream of water is gonna hit the actors from all directions <laughs> instead it looked like a 1960s uh riot sequence so like during the civil rights movement where the police were taking a fire hose and smashing some poor innocent person that girl was getting pelted with water <laughs> like not at all sexy it was like it was brutal actually it's like damn they're hitting her with like a uh fucking massive amount of water and she just looks like she's so terribly uncomfortable like, ah! that set was uh literally drenched uh it looked like yeah it's, so it, it's almost like they used all raw footage of that happening and then there's a sex scene i think in the end it was fantasy but um uh, then again i'm not too sure because again it's the brother's story that takes over for a while here before lee chung ling and uh and his lady are kidnapped and then we get um I didn't think so because it, it struck me as so weird. I'm like, they started making out after the water was just like, it's still massively pouring everywhere, but she wasn't getting hit with the fire hose anymore. So then they then they start making out, and I was just like, but everything's still flooding. Your whole house is going to be ruined if you don't do something quick. <laughs> it's like a, it's a new homeowner speaking here, listeners. You gotta do exactly. something. <laughs> Call someone. <laughs> Hey, Mr. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> so there's little uh, bursts here of, uh, literally bursts here of, uh, okay, sort of fun, goes on for too long. The short, glossy pervert gets his um, day in the sun to shine. We don't get necessarily in these movies, that, th- these characters who are so pathetic, so filled with cum, literally, that they externalize <laughs> all thoughts that they have about who they want to woo. They don't necessarily uh, get some in these movies. In this movie, at least one of those characters, he, he does get some. And it turns out he's a virgin, so he, uh, so he, obviously his first time is over in five seconds. And uh, little sequences like that. So not necessarily great. There's no, not, not much visual flair there. But uh, at least for, for a little burst here as we wait for Lee Chung Ling, I, 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 it, it was okay at best. 
but I, I was still waiting for what clearly was part of the structure that is Lee Chung Ling is going to have his day in the sun and not just this first half and uh, so, so I, I wasn't bored waiting for the good stuff uh, and, and I knew I, we would be able to talk about a few beats that are silly you know the plumbing is silly that guy, uh, that guy uh, losing his virginity is uh, an unexpected sequence. So, the, for me, it was um, you know a few bursts of that in a quite a short, fairly fast-paced movie is uh, is okay. Um, so we might as well get to the kidnapping. Let's get to the last ten minutes. Of the yeah, movie. whatever. <laughs> By this point, I don't think the movie is operating in using any kind of logic, really. Um, it's just there because it's a comedy. So it's just there to sort of uh, try out comedy. So the kidnappers are so stupid to the point where instead of gagging their screaming victims, like, let us out, let us out. <laughs> they all say, let's listen to Walkman. And therefore, they put their <laughs> headphones on, and that'll be fine. And then when they shout out like uh, uh, what they're doing in the card game, no one can hear each other. Waka waka. <laughs> As the movie reverts back to Li Chungling, where were you? Uh, uh, did did you think it was a satisfying conclusion to his story? <laughs> in many ways, I felt like uh, yeah, the the sex scene, him becoming a you know sex craze pervert or probably not really but you kind of expect him to he, he, wa- like he wakes up worked. he has an awakening Joshua. right he has an awakening i felt like all of that worked you know that's what we wanted that's what happened and we get a they, know, they, they, so, sorry they look kind of good together um lee sure. Ling and the actors we I'm, go- I'm gonna find i think it was because she only she only did a f- one or two movies so let me just mm-hmm. find her really quick uh, uh miss chung and the actress is choi hey man did two movies this one and the year after she had a role in the holy virgin versus the evil dead and then then she was out she looks great and i think they they, they are like an image fit you know what i mean mm-hmm yeah, yeah, I do think that they uh, they had good chemistry together as well. Because overall, you know, it's satisfying. You know, it's everything you expect it to be. Because they also, like, uh, as they attempt to free each other by uh, untying the knots, uh, they start to uh, kiss each other's necks and all of that. And like, uh, she's not kissing my neck anymore, and I'm now untied. And then, then the cavalry starts, essentially, in terms of uh, the bonking that uh, they've held in for so long. <laughs> you know? The bonking. Yeah, and so, and of course, after this, we get a you know happily ever after sequence with a, a freeze frame, but not as fun of a freeze frame as I would have liked. But overall, just uh, it is satisfying. It did the trick, basically. Nothing too special, but nothing too bad either. He was used well most of the time because clearly, at some point, whether in this movie and onwards. Uh, makers realize the potential of Li Chung Ling like w- what presence he has like how you should use him usually you should not use him in a serious manner in a brooding manner but rather you you should play to his strengths and I think um, filmmakers certainly did like he, he was meant for comedy he was meant mm. for uh, sort of semi-nerdy and uh, obviously when we saw that movie I Love Miss Fox as he cheat on, cheats on his wife yeah. it's not likable but he uh, the goofiness of it all makes it fun because he's a game performer man sure he was uh different from charlie cho in that regard i, f- I think Li Chung ling 
I don't know, somewhat more goofy, a little bit different uh, goofy, not as not as much, so to say, machismo as Charlie tries to put forth, because Charlie was yeah. always confident and shit, you know, even though yeah. he was the character he was in certain movies, uh, you know, and looking the way he, he did in most movies, uh, but he was always trying to put on this show off. I'm mm-hmm. the man. Li Ching Ling, I don't remember many performances where he did that, and that made, yeah. it, made it all the more likable. He, he might be typecast just a little less than uh charlie charlie had that that one character in these films you know whereas lee chung ling kind of sometimes seems like he's doing something different with every role you know mm-hmm. for sure still still kind of you know still becomes the coxman by the end but sure and him him and his side thrusts in the sex scene <laughs> towards that he's doing he's doing uh almost uh it's um it's horizontal frosting <laughs> yes he's the, he's the man by that point he's the superman by that oh, yeah. point so yeah I, I perfectly enjoyable uh there are some whole fun sort of crafted visual sequences but uh, maybe they're a bit more forced than others uh, there's a sequence that takes a sex sequence that takes place under a glass table which isn't as perverted as it sounds because they, they dress that gla- glass with like bulbs around it like uh, uh-huh. uh yellow bulbs red bulbs or whatever what have you but it's more like I know how to do that. Let's do that. Rather than just shoot a boring sex scene. And it's okay, but I, I, I've seen him like use his visuals way better, even in comedies, um, for logical purposes. There's a scene in Wild at Heart, a uh, sex scene in an alleyway. And then, uh, uh, speaking of pipes, I think a pipe like bursts in the alleyway, and uh, then they continue to, to have sex as the water pours all over them. But it <sighs> sort of makes a little bit more sense. Um, it doesn't feel as crazily cartoony as the mm. said plumbing scene uh, is no right gear needed for that one <laughs> uh so any anything else you wanna say about temptation summary it's fun it has a lot of problems but uh it has a one great scene that can't be looked down upon the door doesn't even burst open he actually walks through uh, a, <laughs> a glass pane of some of some kind you know why would there be a glass pane in her I, I'm not too sure. It's almost like he's coming out of the shower for some reason. But, but uh, Li Ching Ling walks through that, you know, so he does a little stunt. Sure. Nothing nothing to be ashamed of. So, so yeah. As for availability, though, of uh, Temptation Summary, uh, uh, not too great. The Universe VCD that I have um, is currently listed as out of stock. It seems like it was never upgraded to DVD. Even Temptation Summary, Temptation Summary 2 was upgraded to DVD, but it had like cinema subtitles though. So it wasn't, you know, a new print wasn't struck. But the VCD of Temptation Summary doesn't seem like it's in stock at the moment, but hopefully some stock will be available soon or via second-hand sources. Perhaps there was a Laserdisc, but I didn't find a listing for it. But uh, that's the status of uh, Temptation Summary. So if it's in... The uh, collection of the National Film Archives in Taiwan and Hong Kong, then um, they're not letting it out. I would guess, though, I mean, based on the movies we've seen, like, I would guess at least you point sent to that Sex and Sin adaptation, but with some, like, serious visual flair to it. I would guess that that's in there. Because it's not, it's not cheap as such, you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe, maybe Girl with the Long Hair. I mean, it's a high-profile movie being a Shaw Brothers movie, but then again, they don't need to store it because it's re- it's remastered by by Celestial in Hong Kong, so maybe they, they don't need to store it. But uh, I haven't seen them all. 
Um, so maybe we have some more movies to cover. I know I liked his movie, The Sichuan Concubines. It's a, it's an art movie, but I actually thought it had some very alluring atmosphere, uh-huh. dark atmosphere. It is erotic, yeah, but it uh, felt very. I didn't get it. I mean, balloons. Balloons. I liked it despite it uh, fell fell under the sort of say uh, well it's probably about the balloons somehow but i still <laughs> liked it so uh, so there it is I'm, I'm 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 sad that david lynch didn't uh, mention anything about the balloons when he wrote uh, your president not too long ago <laughs> dear mr trump <laughs> have you heard of twin peaks and my balloons <laughs> and by the way i was misquoted Sincerely, David Lynch. Uh, so there it is. Um, uh, let's finish this one off. Uh, just a very exciting episode of uh, two different movies, but uh, nevertheless, nice to have in the This Week in Sleaze archive, if you will, that uh, we've covered these ones. Uh, I, even for, with the Tidy Whitey Theater in mind, I like to pick uh, choices that have some distinction. Uh, even though some movies that I picked before for the show are utterly horrible, like that untold story ripoff called The Unpublicizable File. But title-wise alone, you got to do it, man. <laughs> because it's the most far-fetched English title you can come up with sure. after others have done probably rip-offs of the untold story. So it's, it's worth a venture. And then you can put it to bed after you ventured into it and out of it. Uh, let's finish this one off really quickly. This has been This Week in Sleaze on the podcast on Fire Network. And for all your podcast on Fire Network needs and our back catalog of shows, go to podcastonfire.com, uh, subscribe rate and review us on iTunes and uh, follow the handy uh, links to all our social media in the show post for this episode or the handy buttons at the top of our website and that'll be good Uh, check out the links in particular to Joshua's two documentaries on IFT Films and Arts and you have to uh, plug the other ones because I've already forgotten the name of the movie and the filmmaker that you covered in episode 2 of your YouTube documentary series it's about Frederick Hobbs the filmmaker and God Monster Vinian Flats Check it out. And uh, so let's stop the fucking. Let's take out the needle thread and get to work making our own category free Superman suit. Or oh, yes. maybe King Who has copyrighted it already because believe it or not, he has one. <laughs> but he he uh, changed the design. He uh, he built muscles into his, you know, so Cat Freeman looked buff. As he should. King Who has actually roamed around Hong Kong looking like that. He has no, sh- no shame whatsoever. No, Doggy is not getting a Category 3 Superman suit. <laughs> I want one. I want one. Let's, uh, let's conclude this one. Let's attend to real life as you hear there in the background. But uh, thank you, everybody. I'm Miss Lee Kay. And with me was the great Lord Joshua Regal. Say bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>